everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Married. I'm Travis. Hi, I'm Ashley. And happy Friday the 13th. And what better way to celebrate that than to cover Friday the 13th? Exactly. And this is going to be like a precursor to basically what we're going to do over the summer. So this is this is but a taste, my darling. Yeah. So we've got what, like one month before summer officially begins, I guess? Mm, something like that. And we do our summer camp of sorts, sort of. We're going to be doing some summer themed movies. Yeah. I mean, I mean, technically, we kind of started that last week with, with Jaws. Jaws for our beautiful friend Kent. Yeah, we just thought, what better time than to cover the entirety of the Friday the Thirteenth, thir- the Friday the Thirteenth franchise? I've been like, I don't know, ever since we did Halloween, I've been chomping at the bit to cover this franchise because you know you guys know me a little bit, and everybody knows that I'm a Hellraiser girl. But at the end of the day, Friday the Thirteenth's probably my favorite franchise as a whole. I don't know how to word this really. Jason was my favorite movie monster until we did Halloween, and then I kind of went over to Michael, so I'm wondering if I'm going to swing back the other way. You're such a girl. You know what? You can't make up your mind about anything. I'm entitled to change my mind. (laughs) It's my prerogative. (laughs) But yeah, for all intents and purposes, this, to me, this, and maybe it's because I suffer from anxiety, but I find this series as a whole more comforting, I guess, because a lot of people will say, well, it's just the standard tropes and the standard formula over and over and over, watch room rinse, repeat. But there's a comfort in that for me. I believe uh, when Dr. Wolfula did his review on the first Friday the 13th, he said, this movie's not great, but at the same time, it brings a certain level of comfort. That's exactly how I feel about this franchise. Not necessarily this particular film, as we'll get into, but... This franchise brings me more joy at the end of the day than any other one. Yeah, I think I saw Friday the 13th movies before I saw Halloween movies. And I couldn't tell you which Friday the 13th it was that I saw first. I can. (laughs) I was, I'm sure you're the one that showed it to me. Probably. But I think I was introduced to Jason before I was introduced to Michael Myers. But your take on it is the first one not necessarily being your favorite. Not such a hot take, really. In most lists that I looked at, this is not the one that people like the most. Um, And if you look at the ratings, it's a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It's only 63% on Rotten Tomatoes and only 22% on Metacritic. So it may be the beginning of the series but it's unlike halloween which it tried to copy completely they're not even shy about it not everyone's favorite yeah i i can tell you and (laughs) speaking of hot takes i'm gonna have a lot as we go through this series because there are a lot of movies in this franchise that i apologize for and that are my favorites that people universally hate I, I don't know. I can't explain it. Maybe it's because some of the films in question I saw before others. And so I have more nostalgia for them. Like, for instance, I hold Jason Goes to Hell, I hold in much higher esteem than the majority of horror fans do. And it's just because I think it's one that I saw when I was very young. Uh, I was probably like 10, 11. I should not <laughs> have seen it, but it scared the shit out of me. There's some things happening in that film that I had not seen in anything else up to that point. I know a lot of my perverted friends, they hold the uh, tent scene in high regard, but... (laughs) 
as do I, but <laughs> we won't get into all that. Yeah. Um, I think at some point, maybe after we've made it through all of them, we should do maybe a Pillow Talk episode where we rank these. I completely agree Do with our that. own rankings. Yeah. Independently. You know, I was and thinking. And we'll see if yours matches mine. <laughs> I mean, if you feel comfortable enough to wade those shark infested waters, I mean. <laughs> I think I can do that. Okay. I'll just pick one. <laughs> so like you said this was just a straight up ripoff and it's uh what is it crystal lake memories the documentary about this mm-hmm. victor miller comes right out and says sean cunningham called him after directing porn and children's movies <laughs> naturally that basically watch halloween and we're gonna do that he told him to rip it off yeah i like, mean there, there's stuff that's like blatantly just put it off. out there rip it off and yet it worked so you can't fault these guys at all and then people showed up and bought tickets yeah nobody ever expected that this was going to turn into the beast that it was i mean i recall uh one of my mom's friends once telling me, oh my God, yeah, I remember being in the theater in 1980 watching that and just like being afraid to walk home after the fact. Like it scared the shit out of people. And something that I think interesting is that basically everyone involved with this first movie was doing it because they needed the money. Yeah. Sean Cunningham just wanted to make a movie that made money because his other ventures had not. Right. And uh, Betsy Palmer straight up said the only reason she took the parts because she wanted to buy a Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, shit. I mean, and points for honesty. But you think of the things, the wonderful things that also came out of that. People just needing a job. Like Kevin Bacon was still waiting tables in New York. You know, I mean, yes, he had been in anim- Animal House previously, but there wasn't really anything much after that. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say that this is the film that necessarily kicked off his career. Obviously, that would probably be attributed to Footloose. But I think the guy could give this a little bit more love than he does. Does he give it any? No. Like, even Johnny Depp has said a couple of nice things about Wes Craven and his time. Hang on. Are we talking about Johnny Depp? Is it okay to talk about Johnny Depp? <laughs> I think we're okay to talk Are about Johnny Depp. <laughs> but yeah, even Animal House did not make him enough money to keep him in the movies. He yeah. did. He went back to waiting tables in New York until they cast him in this movie. I don't understand that. There's so many actors and actresses out there that, well, like you said, Footloose was probably his start, not this movie. But mm-hmm. they do have a start in horror. They have roots in horror. And then for whatever reason... When they're grown-ups, they don't want to acknowledge it. So many people are like that. I mean, you God, it's it's like go through and you see people like Vanna White, George Clooney, Jason Alexander, Tom Hanks, a lot of people that got their start in these films and then they just treat them like redheaded stepchildren. I mean, I, w- I would say with the exception of Tom Hanks because he kind of did few horror things throughout his career and that's he did. He did that's the burbs pretty cool and the burbs i don't i don't know what other ones he did i don't even know if that one technically is a horror movie or not i was thinking too like he did like some tales from the crypt and stuff yeah. which is which is pretty cool yeah and a lot of those big names did tales from the crypt mm-hmm. but they don't want to be associated with horror movies yeah i no. don't like i would I would just die if somebody put me in a horror movie. Like, that would would be it. I could die happy. I know, right? (laughs) It could turn out to be much like this podcast where I'm like, put me in your movie. Put me in your movie. And then I get in front of the camera and go, I love Lamp. (laughs) 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 Which is, you know, I was thinking about that earlier before we were going to record. I was like, as many times as I've seen Friday the 13th, as many times as I've watched documentaries, all the documentaries, I can sit here and go, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I... I do that too, but that's it's genuine for me. <laughs> 
I was in the room when that happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is when my sister and I, on occasion, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a Friday the 13th. My sister and I have called each other before and be like, dude, I'm about to watch Friday the 13th. Sync up your player. Let's watch this together. And we have our phones going and we basically just, it's its like we're giving each other our own commentary. See, now, I think that would be cool if we did a Patreon. It is so, it's so, so fun to do that. Let everybody else watch a movie with us. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and then when we get done, they'd be like, wow, those guys are kind of weird. But we can't, like, we can't do We Watched a Movie because some people already own that, you know. A couple of nice boys from Kentucky. Yeah. And they're big fans. <laughs> they're big fans of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Halloween a little more, but. Yeah. You know, we could figure something out. We wouldn't have to be, wham, we could be something else. God damn you, Michael. So, with all that in mind, you're to do some spoiler warnings and then we'll kind of jump in the water. You're all doomed. We are. We're doomed. And we're taking you with us. This is your obligatory spoiler warning. At Dead and Married, we talk about major plot points that might ruin films for the casual viewer. If you don't mind spoilers, join us now. Okay, so since I'm the the learning channel facts guy, (laughs) this movie stars Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees. She doesn't have a first name. Pamela. Pamela? Is it Pamela? Yes. It's just that you don't find that out until part four. Oh, well, it doesn't (laughs) matter then. Adrian King plays Alice. Janine Taylor plays Marcy. Robbie Morgan plays Annie. Kevin Bacon plays Jack. Harry Crosby, who is the son of... Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby Mm -hmm. plays Bill. Lori Bartram plays Brenda. Mark Nelson is Ned. Peter Brower is Steve Christie. Rex Everhart is the truck driver. And also, isn't he the voice for the dad in Beauty and the Beast? Yes. The cartoon? Yes. Okay. And, ah, fuck it, there's some other people in here. We're going to skip it. So, (laughs) here's something that I find funny, is that this movie, the budget, Mm -hmm. was Mm $550,000. It's... That's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars more than they used to make Halloween, and it's 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 like half the movie that <laughs> Halloween was. They say that imitation when is you, the sincerest form of flattery, but think no. of when you think of the things that John Carpenter pioneered to make Halloween, it really all puts it in perspective. I feel like because they basically had nothing to make that movie, and look what it's turned into. Look at the things that it's gone on to influence with having, like you said, $250,000 less. That just blows my mind. Like, thinking- And I think it's scarier. <laughs> I think the first Halloween is scarier than this movie. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's not even a question. Next to no blood. Yeah. I don't know. That blew my mind when I saw that. Yeah. They spent more money to get less movie. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that makes this a bad movie, so don't at me, bro. <laughs> but I don't know. John Carpenter did a hell of a lot with a quarter of a million dollars less. Yeah. It's insane. It really is. And I mean, I'm not... <laughs> I know I know that you just said that there are plenty of people in the same camp as me that this is not their favorite entry in the series. I'm in your camp. <laughs> but the thing is, is if you get past all the things that are wonderful about this film, and there are plenty, there's just not a lot of substance to this first film. I feel like if we were to go in our traditional old formula when we started this channel, and you're going beat by beat, scene by scene, taking all the notes, what you're left with is a lot of filler and not really a lot of 
anything else because, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that maybe it makes it more realistic in that way because you would just be going about your day-to-day doing whatever. Um, That's fair. Talking about if you were a yeah. flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Rocky Road. Yeah, the same answers. <laughs> Yeah, the girl gave. Really? Yeah. You uh, watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't get that part. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it, real life would be like that. But at the same time, Halloween built up such suspense in those mundane moments. And I don't know if that has to do with the score. But something as simple as just looking out your bedroom window or walking home from school was made eerie because you felt the presence of Michael there. You felt like somebody's watching you. Right. So let's, let's, you want to just go ahead and address that elephant in the room? Okay. So a lot of people, like you talk about Friday the 13th, well, they just ripped off Halloween. And then you talk about Halloween, well, they just ripped off Black Christmas. And then you talk about Black Christmas, they just ripped off Chainsaw Massacre or whatever. And Psycho and Peeping Tom and everything before that. Let's go ahead and clarify a couple of things. Friday the 13th as a movie, it's not great. Black Christmas is not that good. It's not. Don't hit me like people don't it's, come beat me with your no, shoes. But, but I mean, it's kind I'm not of a Black like Christmas this movie. Fan. There's a lot of time where there's just nothing really happening. And then you go to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's got issues. I'm not saying it's a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not. I think it's better in people's minds than it is on screen. Does that make sense at all? Yes, but I'm inclined to disagree with that one. Just because I still feel like Hooper built an atmosphere that was eerie and you felt you were on the precipice of something, even if the characters themselves weren't aware of it. And I just didn't get that from this. I I totally agree. But what what you and I had even talked about with Chainsaw is that you can watch Chainsaw and pick out its problems Mm -hmm. because it's not a perfect movie. We sat down and watched Halloween and when we got done... We had nothing to pick at. Exactly. There was nothing, there was no meat left on that bone. Yeah. Like it was, we were just like, I, I don't know what they could have done differently or better. I'm sure somebody out there can nitpick Halloween. I'm sure they I, can. I'm sure they can. Just for me personally, I don't know that it gets any more perfect than that. Except for The Thing, maybe. The Thing is pretty damn good. It's pretty fucking perfect. I mean, and I'm sure it has issues, but Kurt Russell makes up for all those issues. <laughs> Honestly, I can't. If the story is told well enough and you are engaged enough, then you tend to... Nothing feels like filler, I guess. But watching Alice sit and make two cups of instant coffee, not really engaging in my mind. Yeah, and 15 minutes worth of there's a storm coming and we're just going to show you some scenery shots... It was like watching fucking Phenomenon with John Travolta. You remember when he'd like get fucked standing in the middle of the street, staring at the trees that are like blowing back and forth in the wind. Maybe that's where they got their inspiration for that movie. But it's like, ooh, waves on the water. Like, yeah, fuck, let's kill somebody. I get, I get, I get building a scene, but it just, I I don't know. I feel, I feel shitty for saying it. There's just so much of this movie that's boring as much as I love it. And I I do, but there's so much of it that's just boring. I, I agree with that. There's a lot in there that was just getting some runtime. There was nothing else. It's a really minimalistic story, and it's a really minimalistic approach to filmmaking. You can tell these guys were, were new making it, and they were doing the best they could with what they had. And so, again, I understand, and it's a really, really, really simple story. You just, you have a group of kids that are going to this camp, and you find out that this camp in its past has had some problems. They had 
the tragedy of the death of a young boy and it was closed down after the fact and every time someone has tried to reopen it after the fact something would happen to prevent its reopening like fire water poisoning and then you have mustachioed sexy man in jorts <laughs> steve christie decide he's gonna be the hero and he's gonna reopen this camp and then do none of the work <laughs> yeah well okay but the year after the boy drowned, two camp counselors were murdered. Yes. And that's where they opened the movie. Yes, yes, that's our cold open. And it wasn't a bad cold open, but if you're going to give me two kills in a cold open, give me two good ones. Two memorable kills, yes, I And agree. I just feel like the two kills we get were really generic. Like the boy was just holding his stomach with some blood there, and the girl, she got killed by a freeze frame? Well... <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I get the thing about it's it can be scarier to not see the kill. What you don't see scarier. As a matter of fact, you and London were trying to make that argument for that in the Green Inferno. However, I don't feel like it really set the tone exactly um, of just exactly what we were going to get. Now, the way they end the movie, that's the way you fucking end a movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. But yeah, to open it, not, like not the strongest. Maybe it's just there wasn't enough suspense built through the first person Michael Myers POV mm-hmm. <laughs> at the beginning to give me enough tension that when the girl gets killed by the freeze frame, <laughs> that it made me scared. Yeah, it just wasn't effective. Now, what was effective in this whole movie was Harry Manfredini's score. Yes, I agree. Because I think if there's any tension in this movie at all, that's probably where most of it comes from. Yes. Is his music. Yeah, I have adored his score throughout this series. Not going to lie. The dude got it. Yeah. And I, I mean, an argument can be made that it does sound very similar to Psycho. So does Reanimator, for that matter. Both great films. It's simple. And again, I was just going to bring up Jaws, that those beats sound similar. Um, But then this opening is very similar to Jaws. You have two people that are eye-fucking each other across the room. And, (laughs) I mean, they just go to get it on immediately. Now, neither of those endeavors in Jaws or this film were successful. (laughs) But, but yeah, it just, it made me think of that. At least in Jaws, one person managed to get their clothes off. It just, it, you know, those two sitting across the room for each other, <laughs> kumbaya yaing and looking at each other like, yeah. that That's what it made me think of was that Chrissy girl and looking at that guy across the fire on the beach and all of a sudden their clothes are flying like, yeah. yeah. I don't know you. I don't know your name. But let's take off our purity rings and <laughs> go to the barn. <laughs> I think it was an attic or something, but still. Yeah, I don't know what it was. <laughs> However, this admittedly back then knew how to get down. <laughs> <laughs> admittedly, this is a scene that I do quote because if I'm depending on what's going on, I love to go. We weren't doing anything. We were just most, ah! <laughs> you know. <Right. laughs> we all of us. I mean, not you probably, but me and the kids. We do that all the time. We weren't doing anything. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Because, you know, when, when you have people in the house that get it, then you all have a, a giggle. But yeah, like I said, it's it's just because this isn't my favorite doesn't mean I don't still quote this movie endlessly or, you know, reenact certain scenes or whatever. But yeah. So yeah, once we get past that cold open and go into our proper opening, that's when we start meeting all of our characters set to some choice music. <laughs> you know... People people gave Vanilla Ice a bad rap about his little song, and they said he was uh, ripping off Queen David Bowie's Under Pressure. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where you're going with this. Uh, just stay with me; I'll get you there. <laughs> 
but I'm pretty sure that the music that they used for the pickup truck coming in was ripped straight out of Deliverance. Because <laughs> it's pretty banjo heavy and completely out of place. I was waiting for you to be like, he's mounting now. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, that would have been better. That would have been much better than whatever spoon tapping music they've picked but for that. But you're, you're talking about Sean S. Cunningham, who had done work with Wes Craven in the past, you know, Last House on, well, I'm thinking Last House on the Left. And it was the same thing. It was this really, I mean, it's notorious for a reason of, of how graphic and shocking it is. But at the same time, despite its subject matter, you had these weird fucking song choices throughout, you know, wheels turning, like... It's like fucking weird ass shit. They would be like, what movie am I watching? You know, and they 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 had a thing very similar to Halloween 4 where they had a couple of cops. And I believe one of them was um, What's-His-Face from Karate Kid. Fuck. Mr. Miyagi? No, 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 no. <laughs> Asshole. I feel like. The badass guy? What I don't, is his I don't name? know. Crease. God, Crease. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the actor, Martin Cove. Who played Crease in um, Karate Kid was it took in, us a long time to get there. <laughs> yeah, didn't it? was in Last House on the Left, and he kind of had the same role. Where he was just like this bumbling police officer, and he would kind of have this these jokes with his partner. And I don't like stuff like that. It takes you out of the film almost because you're trying to figure out what tone this movie's trying to set. And we did touch on that a little bit again in Green Inferno. So yeah, when you get this movie, we're setting up. You know, we've got this killer at a camp and then you just have this bluegrass music show up out everywhere and you're like do i am i scared or do i pull out my spoons and start tapping on my knee yeah there's there's a fine line like when you get john williams having a theme for jaws which would have been a totally different movie without that music and i know we talked about that but the music can make or break a movie Mm -hmm. it really can like halloween again halloween yes six right with the stupid cops part four part four with the stupid part five part five with the stupid cops Part five. Donald Loomis. <laughs> Donald Glover. We don't know where we are right now. God damn you, Mike! It's like you've got a you've got this movie, and then you have clown music to these cops walking, and it takes you out of it completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that I guess that's long way around. That's where I'm going with that. Is that the music is really important to a movie, mm-hmm. and I feel like for the most part they got it here. I think Manfredini did a good job in this movie, mm-hmm. except for that. Well, the problem maybe that is... was a five o'clock free crack giveaway. <laughs> I don't know. It was bad. The problem is in this, uh, to quote Quint, could be very smart or very dumb. I feel like the music was telegraphed because if you'll if you'll notice when the killer's there, that theme is playing. But even if it looks like somebody's about to get killed and they don't because it's a jump scare or what have you, a fake out, the music's not playing. So it almost ruins that for you that you don't, then you're already going, oh, okay, there's no music, nothing bad about to happen. I don't know that you get that on the first watch though. Probably not, but I've seen it several, you know. Yeah, but I think you that's something that you kind of pick up on on subsequent watches. You're like, oh, okay, so they play that music every time the killer's there. I I did not get that on my first watch of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, that just didn't jump out to me. That, oh, the killer music is on, the killer must be near, 
Right. Well, again, that's why it works so well for Halloween, because even if nobody is about to get killed, even if it's a jump scare, we still have that score playing throughout. So you're tense no matter what, even if right. nothing happens. Right. They, they, they set the tone for it and they just keep you there. But again, getting back into the story, like I was saying, we do have this one guy that decides he's going to reopen the camp and he hires a bunch of young kids, counselors. And we start off thinking that Annie is going to be our our lead character. They kind of do the Janet Lee thing in that way where they set her up and we're seeing this through her perspective. She's going through this town trying to figure out where she needs to go, how to get a ride. And she encounters a couple of unsavory characters right off the bat. Well, first she encounters the dog that well, she like Lloyd Christmas talks to before she moves on. What do you mean? Like big gulps, huh? All right. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> like that. Have a great day now. See you around. <laughs> Uh, that was such an odd conversation. Do but you not do that to dogs when you come across them? I don't. I, I do. It's like, head scratch, belly rub, bye. No, I, I talk to dogs. Sorry about that. <laughs> I think you're assuming they speak English. <laughs> That's, anyway, um, I know. But no, she comes across the character of Ennis who offers her the ride to the camp, filling her up first. He's so Mr. Th- Grabby th- Hands, That's fine. Isn't he? Yeah. Like both hands, both cheeks, shove her in the truck. And you know what? It only gets worse from here. And, and we'll talk about the things that are worse in part two. But it got better before <laughs> it got worse because we got introduced to my favorite character, maybe in the whole franchise. I know. And it just dawned on me that I listed him as one of the unsavory characters. And that was such a shitty thing to do because Why did you do that to I love Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> All he wants to do is tell you you're doomed and ride his bicycle. And ride a bike, he does very well. <laughs> Did you see how he was sitting on that bike, like, very straight up? <laughs> I just, he's probably the person that I quote the most in this whole movie, and I don't just mean, like, of course, everybody says, you're doomed, you're doomed, but my favorite one is to just, like, sneak up on Aiden sometimes and be like, God sent me. <laughs> it's got a death curse. It's got a death curse. <laughs> like, to me, those are so much better than you're doomed. <laughs> I- I'm serious. He's probably my favorite character. Absolutely. In this movie, absolutely, hands down, Crazy Ralph. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, she does eventually, after basically trying to get talked out of it by Ennis, she does arrive to a point where she's, I guess, a halfway point to the camp. Yeah, he was supposed to take her halfway. Yeah, and then she ends up getting another ride. And as she's going on at length, that nauseam about why she wants this job, why she's taking this job, then this person ends up killing her. So that's pretty much where we, I mean, I'd love to say this is where we jump off, but we don't, unfortunately. We do get this really good kill set up with brilliant work by the man, the myth, the legend that is Tom Savini. Nobody else that I know of who's ever worked in makeup has had their own turn where they have a, what would you even call that? Pistol cock? (laughs) 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 But Uh, He had a gun for a cock. I don't know. (laughs) Watch Dust Till Dawn and then you'll understand. (laughs) He had a dick gun. And so we get these, it's basically just... There's a lot of exposition and there's a lot of... I think they're supposed to be elaborating on these characters for us or giving us some insight, but there's really no serious character building throughout. No. We get a lot of the mundane just for 90 minutes. It's just some kids hanging out and yeah. doing stuff. Yeah, and and this is, 
I guess, where we set up our archetypes too, that we've got the jokester and then we've got the good girl. We've got the horny couple. Like, I want to think that this is basically where it started. I could be wrong about that. But we do start seeing these characters get picked off by one one by one in grisly fashion. Do you want to talk about what your favorite kill is from this? Sure, sure. Um... Okay, so I think the easy answer here is Kevin Bacon, but I would honestly be lying if I didn't say that I would pick that one based on the story behind that effect, mm-hmm. not specifically on the effect itself. I also really like the hatchet kill. I, it'd be tough for me to pick between those two. I'm going to throw both of them out. I'm going to say it's a tie. Okay. But it, it's not the the Kevin Bacon kill, not because it's particularly awesome, but just because of the story behind it where the pump broke. So Savini's assistant like Cause stuck I... the hose in his mouth and blew in it. Yeah. And that's the reason you get the air bubbles. And I think that was really good. But again, it's more the story than the effect itself. But I think the hatchet kill looked really good. Uh-huh. So... You know, I like practical effects, and that's your fault. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a toss up between those two. I could yeah. take either one. And the thing is, is don't get me wrong, we're we're gonna cover more Savini when we do the burning and stuff. But you can in just the age, and we've we've talked about this so many times on the show about as resolution has improved over the years, you can see where those effects don't hold up as well as they used to. But for the time. 1980, they're still pretty fucking badass. Like, they really are. Even if you can see toothpicks that were holding on Betsy Palmer's prosthetic head, or you you can can see Tazo's hairy knuckles flying up to grab at said head. Those are some hairy knuckles. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can see the different shades of skin between Kevin Bacon's face and his neck. Even with all of those things, they're still really great, and you're sitting there going, how the fuck did he do that? Well, and speaking of effects... Um, the cook, when she gets killed, you know, up against the tree with her throat cut, you can see it now. Yeah. You couldn't then. You would have thought, holy shit, they really killed that girl. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, you can see the makeup lines and all that. But the fact that when her head moved, the wound opened and closed a little bit, mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. absolutely. Uh, like I said, I I still love his effects. I, I don't care how well they age or don't age. The man's a magician. I'm, and then that's basically what he said a hundred times is that they're magic tricks he's performing for people. And I absolutely agree with that. But I, it's hard for me to talk about favorite kill, I guess, because same thing. I feel like the Kevin Bacon throat kill, arrow kill is probably the most memorable. But at the same time, I can't think of any other effective decapitation that really happened prior to Friday the 13th than the one in The Omen, I guess, which is another great decapitation. I don't know that one. I don't think I've ever watched that movie. Oh, probably for obvious reasons. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I'm gonna go to hell if I watch it, what mama said. (laughs) Yeah, my mama said, mama said, you're my Vicky Valancourt. Well, I don't know if I should be offended by that or not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. It's a good thing. (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess I got to go with the decapitation at the end of the day. It's just that was one of those moments. And and actually, I can't help but crack up at this scene because you see Mrs. Voorhees in the stance like she's ready to pounce on Alice once more. But then Alice goes for that machete and Pamela's face just (laughs) gets this look of... And that thwack, and I, I don't know, it's in the music, it's just, this is the most exciting the film has been 
in the last hour and a half. Or, I mean, I, I didn't look up the runtime, but there was, again, just so much filler throughout that when you finally get to the climax where Alice has just spent 20 minutes building this barricade <laughs> in front of her door and then these headlights pull up and I'm assuming she thinks it's Steve, our creepy counselor or creepy camp owner. Yeah, but Steve was just hanging out in town having yeah, some coffee. Yeah, I know. What was with that? You're just sitting in a diner while these kids are working. Lazy bitch. <laughs> but then she spends another 20 minutes taking down this barricade <laughs> to go out. And then that's, to me, that's effectively where the movie starts is when Mrs. Voorhees shows up. And there's something, even though she's giving this facade of warm and gentle and safe, there's still something so sinister behind that smile in her eyes. I disagree. I disagree completely. I think there was crazy dripping off of that woman as soon as she got out of the jeep. That's what I just said. I like, said even behind this facade, you know that there's something crazy. Crazy no, is like I, I didn't. I never feel like there was anything warm and safe there. No, I'm saying that's the way she looks. You know, she's got her sweater and her mom hair, and it's she's like her smiling. disguise. Maybe, yeah, but her horns were showing. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. But I agree with you there. And the sad thing is, is that when this movie finally does kick off, it's the last 10 minutes of the movie. Like, if they had paced the whole movie the way they paced this last showdown, it would have been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, to me, that's when the movie really starts, and that's when I actually get tense, you know? I You get these little beats of creepies throughout, like Brenda hearing the child's voice out in the rain. Like, that is legitimately creepy. Like, she goes out there thinking that, I, I don't know, and it, it's probably Mrs. Voorhees doing that creepy child's voice that she does at the end of the movie, obviously. But just that, you're just sitting alone at night reading a book and all of a sudden you hear a child's voice. I, I don't know. Like, that to me was, there was actual suspense there. I, she knew there weren't any kids there. Well, that's what makes it creepy. That's the only thing is that why, if you hear a kid's voice outside and you know that there's no kids at the camp, why would you be like, oh, I need to go check that shit out <laughs> in the middle of the night, in a monsoon, in my nightgown? I, I, I don't know that I would. I'm just saying that that part is, is legitimately You wouldn't. You would wake creepy. me up and you would be like, honey, go check that out. <laughs> I mean... Or the fact that when Marcy and Jack are going at it in the bed and then you have Ned's body on the bunk above them, there, there's something creepy about that too. The idea of that getting down with the get down and there's a dead body in the bunk above you, you know? There's just, there, there's little bits like that. I just wish it had been more consistent throughout. And I just want to talk about Ned for a minute. I happen to like Ned. I know I have heard a lot of people say, and it's pretty standard, I feel like, with the comic relief character that most people find them annoying, but I actually found him really sweet in the scene where there he's hot take here or sensitive topic. He's dressed as a Native American inappropriately, but movies of its time but the scene where he's dressed up like this and he's whooping and hollering and cop shows up to say we're not going to take any malarkey or we're not going to stand for any malarkey out here or whatever and he keeps getting on to Ned I actually felt bad for him because he seems like he's not that annoying comic relief to me like he's, he's not Shelly he, oh my god or Franklin <laughs> 
Franklin's a different franchise, dear. I get it, but Franklin annoyed <laughs> the shit out of me. I was wishing he would have died a lot sooner. But he seemed like one of those guys that was genuinely just trying to make people laugh, not trying to be annoying, yeah. you know? And so I actually happen, Ned is probably, if I have a favorite apart from Crazy Ralph, I, I actually do like Ned. Because there's really nothing to the character development in any of these characters. All of these characters are pretty shallow. Pretty paper thin. Yeah, you get, it's just surface. And beneath the surface, there's more surface. And even Alice is a final girl. I know there are a lot of people out there who, she's their favorite final girl. But in the Friday the 13th series, or any horror series, I've got a hard disagree. Because I don't feel like they did enough with her character to make her somebody that I really wanted to root for. There's vulnerability the way you get with somebody like Laurie Strode or Kirsty Cotton that you don't get with Alice. See, and I could have gone for um, Brenda as mm-hmm. the final girl, honestly, up until she went to check out the child scream because she, well, I mean, think about it. She wasn't out there fucking around. She wasn't trying to have sex or do drugs. She Excuse was me, Strip Monopoly was her idea. Yeah, but she was in bed <laughs> reading her book. She thought a child was in danger, so she went to check it out. I don't know. I'm just saying that there was some final girl material there. She was the responsible one. She, exactly. She was the Laurie Strode, I'm going to be responsible, do the right thing mm-hmm. character. Except she also asked for weed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we can't all be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm just messing with you. Um but I, I I see what you're saying. And to me a final girl, the perfect final girl has that level of vulnerability, but she's also capable and she might be able to handle her shit. That's why I prefer Ginny in part 2 as opposed to Alice. I always prefer Ripley. <laughs> Again, you just <laughs> I yeah. like you said before, I'm going to need you to use your GPS. And get back to where we are. <laughs> I'm watching aliens. <laughs> but yeah, I just, at the end of the day, with respect to Victor Miller, I feel like the story was poorly written. Well, you were not the only one who thought that. Yes. Because there was a whole panel interview where uh, Betsy Palmer, sitting right next to Victor <laughs> Miller, said, I read this script and thought, what is this shit? Yeah, it's the worst piece of shit I've ever seen or something. And the look on his face. <laughs> Uh, it's worse that she was right (laughs) if you want to break it down to its bare bones because there have been plenty of movies out there where a parent has lost their child and the parent wants to avenge that death well we get another one of those just later in this franchise yes with the well not in my opinion but other people's opinion would say a shittier movie but that's a topic for another day. But my point was, is this can be a compelling story of what one woman will do to avenge that loss. And it could be, they could have dealt with the grief of that loss. But as it is, we don't get set up with her character at all. We don't get set up with Jason's death at all. They could have... I mean, you could say maybe that would have telegraphed to the film some, but if we had opened with Jason's death, maybe, and how that affected her, that might have made a more compelling story. Shit, you don't even hear his name until the last 10 minutes right. of the movie. And so how are we supposed to really sympathize with Jason for his mother dying when she's just this lady who's crazy as a bag of cats from Jump, and we don't really get that development of what drove her to this point 
And how are we supposed to sympathize with her again when we've just been introduced to her the last 10 minutes of the movie? Yeah, I mean, you get her monologue, you know, Mm -hmm. about what happened. And and that's great. I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head. It's nothing to do with her acting. No, 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 no. I think she delivered it with conviction. She did a great job. It's that throughout this movie, at no point do they develop any of the characters enough for you to care about their background, their motivation, why they do what they do. You just don't get any of that with this movie. Right. And I think that's a lot of the problem. Yeah. And for me, you know, being the simple jack of the movie community, <laughs> there's nothing even that I really laugh at a lot other than Ralph. Right. So not only is there not like suspense to keep me on the edge of my seat necessarily, there's nothing really in this movie that keeps me entertained until the last seven minutes of the movie. <laughs> We've gone from 15 <laughs> to 10 to now to seven. <laughs> I'm going to go to five. Here. <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you. There's not they they needed a lot more character development, either with Jason, with Mrs. Voorhees, with somebody, mm-hmm. so that you care about what happens to at least one of these damn characters. Right. And they just skipped it. I mean, you're talking to Madame Gorehound here. I'm all for watching people get chopped up in creative ways. That's that's what I love. This That's why slashers are my favorite genre. The problem is, is I also want to have somebody to root for, too. And I think that's why more often than not, especially in the Friday the 13th franchise, I tend to root more for Jason. Because throughout this series, that's the way a lot of these characters are written. I, I wouldn't say up until part... Well, okay, part two, I, I love Jenny. She's a great character. She's an awesome final girl. But there's not really anybody I root for effectively up until the final chapter. Yeah, just based on what I know about these movies with not having like recently rewatched and actually paid attention to them, a lot of the characters through a lot of the Friday movies, pretty thin. They're just, there's not a lot of development, I don't think on any of them that I can remember. And maybe and maybe that's the reason I started off being a Jason fan. It's just because, I don't know, I mean, if you got to choose somebody that's on the screen right now to care about and root for, he's the only one you really know anything about. Might as well be him, you know? Because I don't know this co-ed that he's killing right now. Mm-hmm. I know that she showed up. She was a bitch to this guy. That's it. That's all I got. Right. I don't have any reason to want that person to live. So I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I just, yeah, I feel like she could have been fleshed out a little bit more, you know, because she was very dramatic in her monologue and you do get that this hurt her on a deep level to the point that it obviously drove her crazy that she's hearing her son's voice and mimicking her son's voice that, yeah, this really, really drove her crazy but i feel like yes we should have gotten more time seeing what led her to that point and they could have really gone after that point and just really made that like a rip your heart out i mean they had the right actress to do it Mm -hmm. they had an actress that had the chops to pull Mm -hmm. that off i mean they could have made that just an absolute tearjerker of a scene where you're sad that she died at the end and they just didn't yeah because i i get it and at the end of the day i understand why people have latched onto this movie so hard because i don't want to say especially people like me i feel like everybody in their life has endured some type of bullying but i think that's why we tend to latch on to jason 
easier because you're looking at a kid who was bullied and neglected to the point that it caused his own death. And so the thing is, is that while I agree with you there, we don't actually see that scene until later in the series. Right. Because they don't even show that here. I don't feel like they really address that until Freddy versus Jason. And even then, we don't know that that's really the lore of what happened. Right. That could have just been Freddy fucking with us. Yeah. Because all, all we know is that the counselors weren't paying attention at all. Right. And honestly, that cold open, I thought that was it. The counselors weren't paying attention. Okay. So they're in the cabin singing Kumbaya. These other two go to have sex. Why was he off swimming in the middle of the night in the first place? But that wasn't it. Right. That was what had happened the year after. Mm -hmm. So I really don't feel like we ever got a good representation of that initial thing that kind of jump-started all this. So So why don't we talk about what you liked about this film? What do I like about this film? I want to lead with Crazy Ralph. (laughs) I like Crazy Ralph. I do. And I really wish they could have kept him around for like the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. I mean, he pops up in what the first three, two, two no, movies, just two. Mm-hmm. but I just, I don't know. He, he makes me chuckle. And the thing is he was right. He's absolutely right in both movies and they just write him off. He's like the Oracle of New Jersey. <laughs> um, He's like a messenger Crazy of God. Ralph. Yeah. I like the score. Are we talking about globally? What do we like? Like over like total box? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the score. I feel like the score is effective in most situations. Um, obviously, we talked about the the banjo music that just didn't fit, but I feel like overall, and like the excuse me, what? <laughs> I don't want to do the dick thing. Don't do the dick thing. <laughs> anyway, kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. Okay, but it doesn't sound like that <laughs> when they play it. Anyway, and everybody who's listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> But I feel like that was really effective, and I think that it's awesome that they took that and ran with it through the franchise. I think that's a great choice. Yeah, I mean, really, other than the the banjo spoon tap and stuff, I feel like the score was really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm alone there. Um, the ending music, I, I heard somebody refer to it as a lush orchestra sound. I don't really get that. I get kind of like some 80s synth stuff going on. So I feel like eh, maybe they could have done that one just a little bit better. But overall, I think the score was good. I think the practical effects were great for 1980. You know, I, it'd be easy to poke holes in it and go, no, when Kevin Bacon dies, you can see the line. You can see the makeup. Well, you couldn't on an old console d- zenith, right? You couldn't mm-hmm. when you watched it at the drive-in at the drive-in you thought he got fucking killed <laughs> because it looked real um and so yeah with hd tvs you can see more shit now than you could then but i think the practical effects are still fantastic mm-hmm. toothpicks or no toothpicks they're great mm-hmm. um i've heard some bitches about the jump scare at the end i'm good with it i'm good with the jump scare um i don't care for the whole it was all a dream i'm pretty much in the same camp with everyone else because i feel like they just washed out the movie you know, and they're like, oh, it was just a dream. And they do that in more than one Friday movie. But I guess to, to boil it down, I like Ralph. I like the overall story, even though I don't feel... I feel like they could have fleshed it out better, the story overall. I like the score. And within reason, I like the ending. How about you? I'm just going to wing it here. Chicken wing. Ain't nothing but a chicken thing. Buffalo wing. <laughs> they're better. <laughs> Buffalo well wings? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry now. <laughs> but... You want to go get chicken wings after this? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> But basically everything that you said are my likes too. I, I'm not going to sit here and repeat everything that you just said because I feel Thank like... You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All of your likes are my likes. Aren't our mamas the same? 
And that would make our relationship really weird. <laughs> but no, all, like I said, all the same things you said, the practical effects. I, I like the kills. I like the score. I like Betsy Palmer's performance. Um, and I do like the story overall as an idea. But I don't feel like there's much to go on there. Um, that's horrible. That's a horrible fucking thing for me to say. Well, and we kind of have been touching on that through the whole review is that there's not a lot of substance here. There's a lot of filler and where you have good stuff, there's good stuff like good effects, a good kill. It's just, it spreads so out far out Yeah, within the movie. There's no consistency. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. It's not a consistent movie. That being said, I can't really think of anything terribly egregious either. That's the thing. The only thing that I can think of that just straight pissed me off in this film, other than a bunch of gropey, creepy guys, was the killing of the snake. Needlessly. Yeah, so we found out after the fact, which we had known that they killed a real snake, but what we'd heard just pretty recently was that that was actually like an animal handler's pet. I know, God, and it's so fucked up. tell him that that's what they were going to do. Okay, here's the deal. I grew up in Texas with rattlesnakes and copperheads, and I've got no love for snakes. No, I'm basically Indiana Jones when it comes to snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? Yeah. But, and at some point, I am going to talk you into letting us do Temple of Doom as a horror movie. You know, <laughs> I don't know that I can really argue with that. <laughs> that movie scared the shit out of five-year-old me it did <laughs> it did me too i'm not yeah. gonna lie <laughs> and you know what we watched it recently it's still a fucking awesome movie oh i but love anyway. it i love it anyway <laughs> we went from jason Voorhees <laughs> to indiana jones no i agree with you though that there's nothing like just blatantly bad about it but like you talked about they padded the runtime in a lot of places excuse me excuse me excuse me what? you started a story about how you grew up with snakes and then you veered off into indiana oh, jones yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so the here's the deal i, I don't this is gonna piss people off i have killed snakes in my lifetime like I, Copperheads will kill you. So yeah, let, let's place, preface this with dangerous snakes that were snakes. a threat at the time. Not not going about their business, their snaky business. We're yeah. talking about had to protect ourselves. Like they're in your yard trying to get in your house. Um, and rattlesnakes can kill you. And, you know, in some places where I lived when I was a kid... You might get to the hospital in time that has the proper antivenom to not let you die, but you might not. Right. So your venomous snakes, you took care of them. Um, other ones like chicken snakes, rat snakes, you just moved them somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Those you just pick up and move out. They're, yeah, we would never intentionally go out of our way to but harm any living being. Poisonous kill you snakes, gotta go. That's If they're in your space, they gotta go. If they're out in the pasture minding their own business, you just leave them out where yeah, they are. absolutely. But yeah, once they come in house it's a different story so because they rate. kill rodents and i don't like those either yeah but <laughs> yeah they just killed that snake and didn't warn the guy first that's so sad like that's kind of fucked up that's so fucking sad like man if i'm that guy i'm like i don't know <laughs> yeah i I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you there. There's nothing just awful about it. It's just, it, it's like, it's like if you're making a nice tall glass of Nestle Quick and you what? don't have <laughs> enough Nestle Quick to put in it. And so it's just not quite chocolate enough. 
Like, I get it. Okay, I get it. For 1980, people going in to see this film for the first time, and you have Jason jump out of the water and grab our character and pull her under. That's out of fucking nowhere. That's at a left field. And even if you did see Carrie, uh, Carriously, even if you did see Carrie previously to that, it's still not something you were going in there expecting. So it's still a hell of a uh, surprise ending and effective and badass even. But I understand where people would go in, they'd see these innovative kills that they hadn't seen in anything previously. And then you have an ending like that. I can see where a lot of people would say that movie was the shit. Well, and one thing that Sean Cunningham did do was give a master class in uh, promotion. Oh, fuck yeah, he because did. Because he had, people were scared of this movie before he had even had a fucking script for it. Yeah. I mean, he sold this movie to some not completely <laughs> reputable people <laughs> in Boston, right? Um, he had no script. He had no backing. He had no, he had no movie. He had a title. He sold it was a, a good title. title and got enough money out of these guys the to make it. The scariest film you've ever seen. And so people, people walked in ready to piss themselves yeah so i mean when it came to promoting a movie he nailed that part absolutely and the trailers even if you just watch the trailers where it's counting off the kills that is some some really good promotion right there yeah i mean what no i'm I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i don't know like if you were if you asked me and you didn't but i'm gonna answer anyway um what my dislikes are about this movie I don't have any deal breakers the movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not like, oh, no, fuck that. I'm never going to watch this movie no. again. It's like, it's a little stupid shit. Like, eh, you probably should have used different music in this sequence. Maybe you could have developed the characters a little better. Maybe we could have spent a little less time with John Travolta watching the wind in the trees. I- have characters that went somewhere, like, like Steve. All you get is Steve being creepy in the first five minutes of meeting him. Yeah. And then he disappears. And then you get nothing else from him until his death right give me some character development i mean yeah that's really it yeah it's a very this is gonna give me some hate it's very vanilla it's kind of a it's a vanilla movie you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you're not gonna turn it down but if you have your choice you're probably gonna pick rocky road (laughs) well again this is for whatever reason, this is a comfort movie to me. I will still put it on, lay down on the couch, and have a good time in the fact that I know exactly what's coming. I know the end result, and I feel good after I watch it. There's there's a comfort in that. Um, like I said, not my favorite. I'll openly admit to that. And if I'm ever going, I just want to watch a Friday the 13th today, I'm going to go to part two or I'm going to go to part four or five or six. Those are usually my standard go-tos. So I guess the way we would put this one is like if you're going to do a Friday the 13th movie marathon, Mm -hmm. this one's going to get it included every time. Oh yeah. Whereas the remake from 2000 (laughs) whatever is going to get excluded every time. Okay so let's just talk about that for a minute because we are talking the first Friday the 13th. It got remade. I fucking hate that movie i hate it and i know that that's gonna earn me some hate too but well here's the damn i expected better out of sam i really did (laughs) i mean if dean had been in that movie too it probably would have been a lot better would have been a lot cooler if you did (laughs) i should have known that's where you were going 
But so it's almost exactly the opposite of this movie that we're talking about, where this movie, it's lack of character development. And in that movie, they did a lot of character development and they developed all of them into douchebags that you want to see die. Yes. No redeeming characters in that fucking movie at all. No. Except for maybe Sam. I Well, his character's name is Clay. His in name's that Sam. <laughs> but yes. In real life, his name is Sam. It's Sam. <laughs> it's Jared. Pad- it's Sam Padalecki. <laughs> uh, I'll stop. Jared Winchester. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Phil, let's talk about that for a minute. They basically reduced... The subject matter they were recreating to the span of five minutes for the opening credits. So we don't even get that at all. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Before we dive off into these waters. What you doing we... to my waters, boy? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you love me? <laughs> <laughs> um, are we covering this movie? No, Is we're this not. going to be part of our no. s- summer of Satan, whatever no, no. we're doing? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then you can talk about it. Continue. Well, I'm not going to talk about, you know, I'm not going to give an entire review. I'm just saying that while we're talking about Friday the 13th, we may as well talk about the shitstorm that is the remake. And again, I know that I'm mostly alone in this opinion. Let me tell you what I do love about it first. And it's going to be the same answer all the time. I fucking love Derek Mears as Jason. You can't, you can't have my answer. He is. I picked it first. He is an amazing Jason, one of the best. I I put him way up there at the top. He did a lot of things for that character that were really cool. They had a lot of ideas in that film that were really cool. The first time we see Sackhead Jason running at that girl, it's like, holy shit. Like, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, well, Jason doesn't run. Um, Yeah, he does. <laughs> so that was me. I was one of those people. Because I had never seen, I saw that movie before I saw Sackhead Jason. And so for me, all the Friday movies I'd ever seen, Jason didn't run. Right. He just kind of slowly lumbered through Freddy versus Jason style. Like, I'm a zombie from Serpent in the Rainbow, you know? I'm just going to kind of wander through waiting for Rick Grimes to shoot me in the face. That's (laughs) way too many references all (laughs) packed into one statement. But Derek Mears was the, like, blood pee. He was a fucking terrifying Jason. Yes. And in my opinion, and I'm a guy, and there are a lot of boobs in this movie, and I will still tell you, he's the only good thing about that movie. Yeah. I'm sorry, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) No, here's here's the thing. I actually liked Jared Padalecki, too. Like, he was the only character I rooted for in that film. See, I I don't think he got enough screen time. Mm -hmm. Because you spend way too much time with these little assholes in my opinion yeah i mean i've said several times you know i don't i don't need all this gratuitous tna like it takes you out of the story blah 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 friday the 13th as a franchise is known for having tna like yeah. there, there's no escaping that but this remake was so bad i thought todd farmer wrote it <laughs> <laughs> i feel like no he wrote jason x but we literally spent like what seemed like 20 minutes on Stupendous. this one sex scene. And it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? And that wasn't even the first one. There was like another 10 or 15 minute one at the beginning of the film. Was there? Yeah. I oh, remember yeah. the, yeah, yeah. yeah, the lubed up booby chick. Yeah. Cause the guys at Wham, they were, they're big fans. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're huge fans. <laughs> But there were, 
speaking of her, that was one of the meanest fucking kills I've ever seen in a Friday the 13th film was her sleeping bag kill. Like I said, there are brilliant things about that film. There really are. Speaking of that sequence specifically, the fucking bear trap. Uh Uh-huh. That was pretty grisly. Yeah. That was... There was, there was a lot. Or the axe throw. God damn, that is one of the coolest kills I've ever seen. So ever. That was the seat jumper for me. Yeah. When he comes running out and fucking lumberjacks that axe into that guy, I wanted to like cry a little. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what makes it hard is that I can remember all these really good things about this film and then I'll be like you know maybe I didn't give it a fair shake I mean because I own it maybe I need to put it on again and see if I can change my mind I've changed my mind about a lot of films through the years of my as my tastes have changed as my maturity level has changed and I just can't fucking do it every single time I put that movie on I get brought back back down to earth it was like that one time do you remember when I was like Maybe I should give Rob Zombie's Halloween a second chance. <laughs> exactly. And I watched it again and I was like, nope, nope, it's still bad. Still don't like it. Here's the thing. I've always maintained the stance, don't remake good movies. If there's no reason for it to be remade, don't do it. Remake the shitty movies. That's fine. So I could see, I can understand somebody. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're not all shitty movies. We've talked about, and we both agreed that Nightbreed, good movie, but could stand a reboot. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. Ones that weren't fully realized to their potential or were shitty. Remake those. Give those another chance. Friday the 13th, I can understand that. I can understand somebody wanting to remake that and say, let's let's do this with the budget that they didn't have. Let's do it with better effects than what they had, although that would be hard to beat. I can understand that. But where you had these characters, if we, as we have discussed, so completely paper thin that there's nothing to them, and you're going to remake that with a bunch of shitty ass douchey characters that's not an improvement they basically remade it with the cast of american pie i mean if all of them were stifler yeah i i can see that yeah because like what we should have in the reveal of jason finding that mask should be in this remake should be the iconic scene of that film and instead it's tainted with that guy that was that rapper and it's always sunny (laughs) i can't remember his name being a pervert to a fucking mannequin in magazine, it's so, it makes me cringe so hard that I I can't even look at the screen during that scene. I almost want to plug my ears. And that's not me being immature. That's just, it It makes my skin crawl. Yeah, they, they completely missed the opportunity to fix the character development, fill in some action. I mean, to really take that original and fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. That's what they should have done is take it and say we're going to fill in the gaps and make it a more complete story, like with maybe a little backstory, a little bit more action, a little bit more character development going on. And they didn't. They were just like, here's some tits and some unlikable people. Yeah, yeah. but That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) It's just really sad because Derek Mears seems like the coolest, nicest person on the planet. And he was so excited to get to play this character that he grew up watching and to be for it to be that movie and the script is atrocious i feel like his performance was wasted in that movie and i feel bad for him yes because of that because he brought it like let's be honest he was kind of trying to fill some kane hotter shoes and he did it and i know you're a huge fan of kane but i feel like 
his own sort of interpretation of Jason was great. He was terrifying. And they just, it, it's weird to say that they shit on a stuntman's performance, but that's exactly what they did. I don't think anybody has shit on him necessarily. I mean, with the rest of the movie. Oh, they I see I see what you're saying. His okay. awesome performance as Jason and then stuck it in a shitty movie. Yes, so yes, that absolutely. The good points that he brought to it are going to get missed by people who don't watch it. Kind of like, and I know this is going to be another hot take, but kind of like Tyler Maine. I agree. He. I don't want to. Say what you will, we're used to the shape looking a certain way. And nobody's really come close to that up until um, David Gordon Green's films. That's the closest we've had to Nick Castle, in my opinion. However, Tyler Maine, to me, was a fucking terrifying version of Michael. Yes, he doesn't have to be built like a pro wrestler. He doesn't. But that made him more imposing. And so where you're going, okay, we have Rob Zombie's vision. We have his take on this. This is his version of Michael. I can get behind that. That guy's fucking scary. You know, I don't want that guy to fucking come stomp my head in. In his own way, he was just as scary as the Michael that we kind of expect. So I I would agree with you there. It's just the movie that surrounded him. Uh, Take that damn thing off. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. Michelle. Michelle, my bell. (laughs) Fuckers. I just... Yeah, no, I'm with you in that boat. I'll get in that boat with you. Yeah. The Tyler Maine, he did do a good Michael Myers. He just, he was in a not great movie. Yeah. Two of them. But, got off topic here, but that that's my point. Now that the legal battles are over between Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller. Are they really? From what I've heard, yes. I they were still going. It's officially over. Awesome. I would love to see, I don't want to say I would like to see another reboot or a remake. Do something different. Just just make another movie. We don't have to get, we don't have to get a Peter Parker origin story every fucking time we get a Friday the 13th. I'm not asking for that. Catwoman doesn't have to be <laughs> in every fucking Batman movie. But we have people out there like Vincent DeSanti who made a fucking scary Friday the 13th film that had nothing to do with the ones that came before or since, even though there really hasn't been any since. That movie was scary and it was a short film. That that Jason was scary. It can be done. So hopefully here in the future, we'll get something like that again. That, you know, like the Halloween 2018, something we can get excited about again and be afraid of Jason again, because we love these Titans. That's why we're here, you know, at the end of the day. That's 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 why we have a channel. That's why so many other great people have a channel because of their love for this genre. I, I just want to see it get brought back and treated with the respect that it deserves. Yeah. I I agree. And I know that with the the most recent two Halloween movies, that there's people out there that love them like we do. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that just absolutely hate them. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if you take those two movies and compare them to some of the later Halloween entries that came before, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> Halloween Resurrection <laughs> with Buster Rhymes. There's a huge difference between those latter movies and these this recent crop that's made by David Gordon Green and other people who genuinely love Michael Myers. They love the Halloween franchise, and they're going to do the work and give the attention to detail. And if those legal troubles are really over, that's what we need. Yeah. We need a fan. 
and updates to the Friday the 13th game. Somebody. (laughs) Somebody who truly loves the franchise and knows the lore, I guess you'd call it that, to jump in here and and run with it. And even the director, Vincent de what's-his-face? DeSanti. Is that the Never Hike Alone on YouTube? Like, goddamn, those are so good. They are so damn good. Those are so good. I would watch it. Yeah. Which if you haven't ever gotten on those, watch, go on YouTube and get, uh, look up Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow. Yes. And they're short films that they did. And they are absolutely Let amazing. that guy have a full length directorial debut. Give him $550,000. <laughs> give him more than that. No, give him more than that. <laughs> but no, that's what we need is someone that's a real fan of the franchise. To like, it's like, what's his name? Getting a hold of Stephen King. Uh, the guy that did Dr. Sleep. Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Who's a real fan. Who's going to stick to the source material. That's yeah. what we need. Absolutely. But that was a long tangent on <laughs> the Friday the 13th remake. You started it. <laughs> I don't like it. (laughs) Just say that. I don't like it. (laughs) Agreed. But I think that's going to effectively wrap up this episode of Dead and Married, where we sat here and discussed 1980s Friday the 13th. Next week, we're going to be back with one of my favorites. And I'm going to probably be much more excited for this one because it's such a huge staple of my childhood. Travis is already sitting here making the fucking face at me. Stop. Stop. It doesn't work if your dick's not out. (laughs) I can fix that. So if that didn't give it away, next week we will be back with Sleepaway Camp. Yay. (laughs) How do you you feel about that one? Uh, We get more shorty short jorts and... I I don't know how I feel about that (laughs) at all. I don't... Some more scenes that don't mean anything and some more padding of the runtime. And yet I still fucking love this movie. Here's the difference. I have only seen that movie a couple of times and I've only halfway paid attention to it. But it's it's funny, at least. Yeah. In places. And that one entertains me. Yes. God, if I say I like it better than the first Friday, people are going to show up at our house and stone me <laughs> in the street. They will take you outside and fuck you in the street. They will fuck me in the street. <laughs> But this it is much. It's a much more fun movie. I oh, say. I love it! I love it so much. Especially the end. Yeah, <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I just broke both of us. Now I'm thinking about Ace Ventura. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, laces out. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye. guys quick reminder to find us on social media you can find me on twitter and instagram as spookymom83 and travis on twitter as travisl80 and find our official page on instagram and twitter at dead and married if you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com later